We're back, just like I said we'd be back for the Glory KC episode three. Welcome, everybody. We have a guest host today. Well, I have my wife, Sheena. Hey, Sheena. Hi. Hey. <laughs> just like last time, a little awkward with your highs and your haze. <laughs> uh, and we have a third host with us. With, oh, my gosh. With us this week, Eric Reuter, also better known as Farmhand from thebluetestament.com. Eric, what's up, man? Howdy. <laughs> all right so we'll get we'll get to know everybody a little better here in just a second but i want to kind of get this like gross part of podcasting out of the way at the front end of things here uh little plugs for for the glory kc you can find us on all your social media platforms at for the glory kc on instagram Facebook, Twitter, and you can even email us at ForTheGloryKC at gmail.com. We'd love to hear emails from you all and maybe reply to them and have conversations about it. Could be good times. Also, got to say this, five-star rating and reviews. It helps us. It helps the whole Blue Testament podcast network. For the Glory KC is just one of many podcasts on the Blue Testament network. Uh, if you don't want to write a five-star review, just tweet it at me at Play for 90 don't, don't put it in our feed right now. Give us time to get better. We'll get this thing figured out. But before we get into all this week's many, many topics, and we learned a little bit more about our, our third guest host here, Sheena, you have some sort of clarification you need to give? Yes. And she wouldn't tell me what it was. She's like, I'll just tell it. I'll tell you on the podcast. I'll tell you on the podcast. Yeah, because I'm probably going to embarrass you right now, but I feel like this needs to be said. Um, <laughs> so first off, if you listen to the whole podcast the last week, thank you. I know it was a little rough. Um, I've never been on a podcast before. And as you heard, I'm not as knowledgeable as Chad, but I'm working on it. But I did want to clarify a statement that Chad made last week. It was something to the effect of Sheena gets forced into my hobbies because I go in a thousand percent. Do you know where I'm going to be going with this, Chad? I don't know for sure, but I mean, this is true. Are you, are you going to mention how you sometimes watch wrestling with me because I watch wrestling? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's going to get mentioned. But I want the record to be shown. I don't get into all of Chad's hobbies because Chad has too many hobbies. That's and if true. I got into everything he was interested in, I'd have no identity outside of him. So for the most <laughs> part, soccer is the only one I've gotten into. But I just wanted to give the listeners an idea of what other hobbies you have just because you have so many of them and I don't know how you juggle them all. Um, well, let's remember this is a Kansas City soccer audience I, about the hobbies that you're about to mention. I know. I know. Don't worry. I'm going to protect you. Um, <laughs> so Chad is really into soccer. Um, this includes Sporting Kansas City, KC Current, Sporting KC2, although you didn't watch as much of them last season because of the broadcast setup. And then during the MLS season, you watch all however many games there are every week, like the condensed versions that's of every true. game, including Sporting Kansas City, even though you were either at the game or you just watched the game, you rewatched the condensed version. And then you follow the men's and women's national team. And during the World Cup, you've been watching a lot of the recap games and not as closely now that the United States has been eliminated, but you were watching all the recaps. So if soccer was his only hobby, I'd be like, okay, you're really into it. But then he has so many other interests football, but I won't tell you who he roots for UFC. I don't follow it, but we, I will go to the, the matches. Is that what they're called? The events, the fight cards. I don't know. The fight yeah, cards. The yeah. And then Chad mentioned, he's gotten me a little bit into AEW wrestling and <laughs> admittedly, I know way too much about it. Um, and it's ridiculous how sucked in I can get into it at least once a week. Cause it's on a few times. Star Wars, he was really into that. All the movies, the spinoff shows, collecting the Funko Pops. Um, I'm going to have to take a picture and post it somewhere so people can see how addicted to the Funko Pops you are. Oh my um, gosh, Sheena, this is a 45-minute podcast. I'm what, almost done. <laughs> Video games, computer games, Game of Thrones. If I said I wanted to watch Game of Thrones right now, this podcast would cease to exist because it's he true. would want to start watching it right away. And then Mizzou football. So you have a lot of hobbies and interests, and I don't take part in most of them, like one, maybe two. Wow, that was that was really long. Okay, well, Eric, I'm glad you got to sit through that. Let's learn a little bit about Eric. So, Eric, I want you to tell us what brought you to, you know, Kansas City soccer fandom. Give us a little Eric story since it's been all the Chad and Sheena show so far. Well, the quick version, if there is one, is that I grew up a fan of the old Rochester Rhinos of the A-League. 
a small market Rust Belt team that exploded onto the scene, winning multiple championships and actually rivaling MLS clubs. They were the most successful minor league team probably in American history, especially with major leagues on there. They won the open, the only team to win the Open Cup in the MLS era that wasn't MLS, beating four MLS teams in a row to do it. So that really, uh, the the sort of civic pride that developed the team that was drawing 14,000 people a game in a minor league city, out drawing about half of MLS at the time in the MLS era and really getting a lot of talk about being an MLS team, kind of the way Green Bay was in sense of a small town city never really happened, but that drew me in as a source of civic pride and interest on what a team could be. Moved to Missouri a long time ago. I live in rural central Missouri now, but I lost touch with MLS for a long time. I think partly because MLS spurned my team as an expansion team and the Rhinos kind of collapsed under the burden of not getting kind of, they flew too close to the sun and then kind of collapsed beneath that. And that's a longer story. Um, but it took me a while to reconnect with the sport. And I think it was partly the sporting rebranding that helped do it because when I moved out here, they were the whiz or the wizards and they wore rainbow, they wore rainbows and they played in a empty football stadium. And it just wasn't something that was all that appealing to an outsider at the time. And when they, as MLS has done, started to rebuild teams and leagues as something less skateboardy and something more uh, attractive, <laughs> frankly. It uh, kind of slowly drew me back in. And even as streaming became more possible, it became more able to watch games. It became more accessible to watch things from further away. You know, I'm, not, I'm three hours away. I'm not going to go to live games routinely. I need access to, to an ability to watch things easily. So it gradually grew up as a return to a sport that I grew up with, but it let go for a while in favor of other things and other life stories. Chino, I think, was wondering about the username last week. Farmhand yeah. actually goes well, way back to the days my wife and I were running an organic farm, diverse organic farm. And I actually joined Royals Review as a baseball fan. And Farmhand was a pretty good pun on the standard term for minor league player and the fact that I was running a full-time farm at the time. So that name stuck, and that name's over a decade old. And so when I poured it onto starting to follow sporting more, it just fought along. It doesn't make any sense in a soccer context, but it's a baseball name that followed me over as I grew deeper and deeper into the Kansas City sports scene. So that's the rambly short version, but it comes from a long tradition of seeing what soccer can do for a community that takes pride in punching above its weight in both Rochester and I think Kansas City or communities like that. Where they adopt a team and an identity people can support and feel that that's something that gives them something they can rally around. And hopefully sporting has a better future than the Rhinos did. Yeah, no, absolutely. I really like hearing that story. And you mentioning your username just brought me back to uh, Eric asked me between pots, was your was your wife upset about no. something I did or something I said? I was like, no, I think she was just thrown off by the name Farmhand. Like she's like, what is this? Like you, you comment under the name Farmhand. I was like, there's a reason. You guys actually would probably be great friends because Sheena's into organic everything. So, but this is- a I, Wait, wait, wait. I I also thought I you said farm a land and so that made even oh. less sense to me like farmhand obviously sounds like you do something with farming but farm a land I just was thrown off okay well I use the the moniker legend of Chad on a lot of message oh my gosh, and things so ridiculous Gina's embarrassed every time she has to give it out to her friends or family on Venmo. But yeah, if you all want to Venmo me money, legend of Chad. All right, so let's get into the actual soccer talk. We got lots of different voices this week. So we're going to start off with Sporting Kansas City. Big news for the team. They announced new contracts for Graham Zusi, Roger Espinosa, and Andreu Fontes. Uh, Zusi and Espinosa signed one-year deals with a team-held option for another year, and Fontes is on a two-year guaranteed deals. I want to read this quote from Peter Vermees. Actually, I'm sorry. This is actually a quote from the Kansas City Star kind of re-quoting Peter Vermees, but it didn't have quotes around it. So I'm not sure exactly if it's word for word, but it said that these new contracts, they are, quote, not financially preventative contracts, the ones given to Espinosa, Zussi, and Fontes, to what else Sporting Kansas City would like to accomplish this offseason. And it also goes on to say that the Fontes deal is also less expensive than his previous rate because he was over $1.1 million previously. So sounds like a little bit lower dollar amounts here. So this has been talked about a lot already in the last week. I don't want to you know beat to death some topics that we've already covered over at thebluetestament.com. You should all go check it out. Uh, but just really brief thoughts. I'll throw to you first, Sheena. What are you feeling about these return signings? 
Yeah, so exactly what I said last week should happen did happen. Um, I'm not saying I can predict the future, but clearly somebody at Sporting Kansas City is listening to this podcast. Um, I'm totally kidding. Uh, That's definitely happening. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Honestly, um, with Espinoza and Zussi, the one-year contract makes sense. And I'm okay with Fontes being under a two-year contract. I just hope they find somebody to go alongside him who's strong and who can help him out. So we're not making as many mistakes and giving up as many goals as we did last season. What about you, Eric? What are you thinking? I think the deals aren't a problem. The question is how the players are used on those deals. So I don't think anyone has a problem with bringing these guys back on the roster. If he's throwing them out for 80 minutes a game again, every game, then we have a problem. So it's a wait and see question because I have no problem bringing them back. It's something that the fans, most fans are probably going to be happy with in a general sort of way. As long as you don't run these guys on the ground and run the team into the ground doing it, nobody's going to have a problem with them being there. Yeah, I, I kind of am in the same boat as you. It, it's all coming down to how many minutes do these guys play? I think Fontes, it's you know very plausible that he could be an everyday starter because the center back pairing tends to stay out there all the time. Back to Sheena's point, who are they pairing him with? Which they did say that they're still looking for a right center back, probably meaning Nicholas Isamat Marin is gone. But then in terms of the other two, Zussi and Espinoza, if they're starting every game, if they're getting ground into dust and they're in the way of younger you know, future talents that are going to be leading this team hopefully for years to come, then that becomes more of a problem. And then it's the money. What, how much money are these guys on? Uh, just because Fontes took less, is it significantly less? Is it still, you know, in the upper hundreds of thousands of dollars, like pushing a million? Uh, all that will weigh in. But hey, if they're great and fantastic next year, we'll, we'll probably forget about all this stuff. Uh, now, Eric, I think you had a kind of a question to move away from the signings themselves, just in a more general sense about this whole, I don't know, the the perception versus reality of these roster moves. Tell me what you were thinking. Yeah, I was just thinking about this in, so from a team's point of view in a perfect world, they would moneyball the heck out of this and just do whatever is perfectly right for the team. And they would just, you know, if you've got an aging veteran, he's gone, you know, don't like this guy, he's gone. But you're also a business operating in a crowded marketplace and you need people to like you, you need fans to want you, you have a lot of stuff going on. So there's a question of, how much teams should be taking into account fan opinion, right or wrong, versus taking into account what's purely objectively best for the team. So this is where I think some of these signings come into play. At least I want I'm not in PV's head, but you know, it's so, sometimes you have to do something that will keep fans on board. Sometimes you do something that shows that you're loyal, that you're the kind of team people want to support. Because people stick with the team, not just wins or losses, because they feel inspired by it. They want to be identify it. They don't want to be the team that kicks people to the roadside like a tin can. And we've already had a few instances of people getting a little fussy about that with, say, Opara, Beasler, Elia. You know, there's been some angst about that. So, you know, if you told Zussi and Espinoza to take a walk, even if it was the right move for the team, I'm not sure that's a good PR move. So, Realistically, I think teams are balancing the need to show people that they're a team you want to support as well as show people that we're moving forward from this. So in that sense, these also make sense to me, but I think we need to keep that in mind with these moves. Yeah, I think the financial, the business sense of it, like Zussi probably sells a lot of jerseys, if I had to guess. I know that Russell's the number one seller in recent seasons, but Graham Zussi is a fan favorite. I guarantee you he's bringing casual fans to the table. Uh, they know that name. Sheena told that story last week about basically that that was her connection to coming to watching Sporting Kansas City. She knew Zussi from the national team. So, yeah, definitely something to that. And having him be a one man, one club man. I don't know. That was I said that weird. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that that says something that means something. Right. If you stay with one team the whole way for your entire MLS career, your entire professional career, for that matter, that has some weight. Sheena, what do you think? What are your uh, reactions to, to Eric's thoughts? Yeah, so I think to a degree, you do need to take into consideration what the fans think, um, because they're the ones buying the tickets to the game, supporting the teams and, you know, buying the merchandise, etc. Should an executive decision be based on what the fans think? I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. However, I go to a point that Eric just made, you know, fan favorites who are no longer on the team when they, you know, didn't get their contracts renewed. I think specifically just because it's more recent, Ilya and how upset fans were when Ilya was no longer with sporting. 
And I remember seeing comments that people were no longer going to support sporting or be season ticket holders. And to me, that seems a little excessive, but ultimately Peter Vermees should be the expert and know what's best for the team. And if you trust your coach, you put faith that he's putting forth the best roster um, at the beginning of the season, it may not make sense to the casual fan, but you know, ideally, if you do trust your coach, they're doing what's best for the team. And I think knowing the fan favorites is important to like Peter Vermees. Um, but if you're going to replace someone, I think, especially if they are a fan favorite, you better have someone impressive taking over that that spot. And I think last year, I don't know that we were really into Ilya's replacement because I think it ended up, I don't know who it was. It was kind of a combination of a lot of people, right? Remy Voltaire ended up kind of taking that role by the end of the year. Yeah, but before that, that was supposed to be spot. Jose Maury. Remember his 27 minutes of MLS play? You don't remember? <laughs> she didn't shake her no, head. It was un- unmemorable. It was really bad. And he got cut after one game. And then oh, Uri- do you remember that? Oh, see, there you go. Yeah. And then Uri Rosell was, I think, maybe supposed to be the other guy. And he didn't work out so well, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> So if you're going to replace the fan favorites, you need to have somebody like a superstar coming in. It needs to make sense, I guess, for the casual fan to get behind it. A comparison you can make here in the Kansas City context is the Royals who have come in for a lot of criticism for being overly loyal for not being trans, they would just, you know, they stick with people way too long. Like, yeah, they want to build the community. They want to raise good people. They want the ballplayers good people. But when you get like five or six losing seasons in a row doing that, you've gone too far in one direction. So, so far, I think sporting balanced that pretty well, but it's the kind of thing you have to think about. On the other hand, if you're completely transactional and just cold blooded, you're also going to start annoying people. So you're, you're treading a fine line in the perception versus reality. Even if the reality is, you know, exactly what you're doing and you're going hardcore money ball perception, whether it's sports, politics, business perception is something you've got to consider. And I think that's, that's the tightrope line you're walking when you make decisions like this. Yeah, I, I agree with that too, because if you were like, think of the, the Beasler situation, right? They cut him and it is a little cold, but he's also had a bit of a drop off that last year before he left and was making significant money versus I would say Zussi and Espinosa played really well when they were on the field. Zussi was hurt a little bit more this season than he has been in prior years, but I, it's hard to argue that it wasn't some of his best minutes when he was out there just pinging balls all over the place. And, you know, he had, he's always good for a good Galazzo or two every season. So he had that banger against Vancouver. I also want to kind of think about other sports too, because you think of like uh, the Patriots, the New England Patriots. I always go to them because they always say Belichick is so cold hearted. She got an angry look on her no, face just hearing Belichick's name. <laughs> but like, He'll move on when he has to move on. Maybe moved on a little too early from old Tommy B. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a good balance. Zeus is still performing as long as I think we're all in agreement. He just doesn't need to play too much and stand in the way of your Caden Pierre's of the world because he's the future. He's young. He's hopefully going to be a national team talent one day, just like uh, Zeusy before him. Any other thoughts on these moves before we go in a different direction? I got some head shakes. All right. Always good for a audio medium, guys. I'm good. Uh, so, <laughs> so I have a question kind of that I want to debate it to our last little topic really about sporting cancer. Our last main topic here, I would say, is with these re-signings, we have now brought back, we, like I'm a part of the team, Sporting Kansas City has brought back all but two players. The only two that are not coming back as of right now are Nicholas Isamat Marin and Kave Rod. This team missed the playoffs in 2022. And now they're running it back with the, quote, new signings of Alan Polito and Gadi Kinda, who will return from injury, hopefully. And then the only other new signing as of right now is Nemanja Rodoya, who's coming over from La Liga to play defensive midfielder to replace Ilya, because I'm still got people in my my DMs messaging me about Ilya. So do either of you have concerns? Do you feel good about it? Where, where are we landing on this with the almost bringing back the whole team? So I'll start. Um, I'm a little worried we don't have enough talent on defense. Um, Right now we have Fontas and then another person who's yet to be named. So I guess depending on who that is, that that maybe I'll feel a little bit better. But then who are the backups to 
the starters, I don't know. Courtney Ford and Robert Volader are going to be your backups at center back. Um, she just got this look on her face <laughs> like she's never heard of these people. No, that's, I have, that's why you're bringing the casual perspective, right, Sheena? I definitely, that was a look of like, oh, I'm not as excited about them, but that's fine. I do think we have strong forwards and strikers. I also feel like we don't hear as much anymore about the academy players. I don't know if that was part of what you were going over. I kind of tuned out. Um, <laughs> Let's hope our sorry. listeners aren't tuning out like you are. Wow. I know. Oh, gosh. Um, but yeah, I feel like for a while there, we were hearing about academy players and we don't really hear about that anymore. And then my other question is, does Polito and Agata need another backup? And what happened to Marinos? Um, also, when I was thinking about this, I couldn't remember his name. And Chad, you'll appreciate this the way I had to Google. His name was the Cypress soccer player who plays on Sporting <laughs> Kansas City. Um, it's really random. That's how I know him. What do you think, Eric? This is going to be a different season than we've seen before, partly because of the Leeds Leagues Cup added in. So we're adding new, we're adding more games. Um, at least the league isn't depressed because of the World Cup, but we are seeing a different setup and it's going to require some depth and roster flexibility in how we put those people together. So on one hand, you know, I'm fine with saying we started to see a completely different team in the, in the last third of the season. You know, someone on the Blue Testament had a line that I'm just going to copy because it was great about the longest preseason ever. You know, that last third of the season was just a long audition for how we want to do things going forward. And looking at it that way, yeah, let's let's move forward with this. The team was never likely to make giant splashes in, you know, a new DP signing or something. We have those. We have Kenda. We have Plato. That's what they've hitched their wagon to, you know. He's saying we're going to get one more center back. That's fine. That's the biggest hole we have. Like it or not, this is what we're moving forward with because there isn't a realistic, you know, splashy revamp of the team coming, I don't think. Even if you choose the five players you wanted to cut because you don't like them, it's not clear who the replacements would be that we'd be bringing in on a comparable salary and a comparable acquisition. Maybe you take a bunch of flyers on players you've never heard of. Maybe, you know, sporting hits on some and doesn't hit on some. So, realistically, the way Vermees runs the team, this is what we were always going to have. So I'm not going to get real worked up about whether we could have blown it up and starting over. <laughs> so yeah. it's more a question of whether we can balance these players and use them in a way that we don't burn out the way they've done the last three or four seasons, burn out about July or August because we haven't rotated players and we've run everyone in the ground and the injuries are cropping up. That's my bigger concern than whether this is the roster. It's whether this roster will be allowed to stay healthy through October. Yeah, I'm uh, the eternal optimist. I get a lot of grief for it sometimes because I'm always like, I feel like it's going to work out. It just like it, even last year when things were off the rails, I was like, I don't know. I feel like sporting could turn it around. And then they just really didn't. Well, until those signings came in. So I think there is a case to be made. And I think I wrote this in a story that the first two thirds ish of the year where sporting were a nightmare. It it was pretty grim, right? And you tell me you're bringing that team back. That doesn't sound great. But then when you talk about the team post Willie Agata, post Eric Tommy showing up, that I think they had the second best record in the league down the stretch, or at least they did with like a game or two to go. So that's pretty impressive. If they'd have made it into the playoffs, who would have wanted to play that team? And you're telling me you're going to add Alan Polito. You're going to add Gadi Kinda back to that. Hopefully they'll be, hopefully, hopefully they'll be ready to go. Plus, you know, you're going to, add another center back to hopefully fix the back line a little bit. I'm an optimist. I feel like it's going to work itself out. You never know. If they get injured and banged up again, it could all collapse and fall apart. And these uh, Vermees could uh, finally be gone. He's going into a contract year. So uh, there is a little bit of wiggle room left. The team has signed 26 of 30 players. Technically, they can sign another designated player. I already kind of gave my thoughts on that, that I don't think that is going to happen. But there's no open international slots. They could trade for one. They could get a green card. They could open one up. Uh, there's no open U22 slots. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the U22 initiative, basically spend unlimited money on a player that's under the age of 22, uh, and then you can pay them up to the MLS max budget charge, which is something like $651,000 next year. So right now, uh, Marino Sajanis, the Cyprus guy, Sheena, uh, <laughs> Robert Volader, who you were like, you groaned about, 
and uh, Logan and Dembe are taking up those spots. Technically, you could buy one of those down with Tam and, and get another guy with a big old exorbitant transfer fee. But I think we're probably mostly where we're going to be. I think it looks like a center back and some depth pieces, maybe a draft pick coming up in the MLS Super Draft. So y'all feel ready to move on from Sporting Kansas City? Okay, nods again. So before we talk other subjects, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment with For the Glory Casey. And we are back. Welcome back to For the Glory KC. All right, one more topic about sporting Kansas City, sort of. We're going to we're going to mix our footballs here a little bit and we're going to talk a little Kansas City Chiefs even though I was hating in this first segment about the Chiefs. Uh so little news about the Chiefs came out this week from a story in the New York Times. Sporting Kansas City co-owner Rob Heineman is involved in a deal, a little behind-the-scenes shenanigans, politicking, whatever you want to call it, going on to possibly move the Chiefs from Missouri to Kansas. So Heineman and lawmakers told the New York Times that he and other home field executives he works for, he owns home field, uh, pushed state officials to include the stadium fund in the bill. So the state collects a 10% tax on betting revenue and the bill, which took effect back on September 1st, steers 80% of that money into attracting professional sports to Kansas funds. So about $5 million basically a year is going to go into this bucket to try to bring the Chiefs over. It's going to take a lot more than $5 million. I'm pretty sure these stadiums are like one to two billion at this point, but I don't have strong feelings about it. I don't care where the Chiefs play. <laughs> it would be near Sporting Park. Do you all have strong feelings about it, Sheena? I don't know that I have strong feelings, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Chiefs will get a new stadium in Kansas City. And while I don't think people will agree with a tax to finance it, I think if it was on a ballot, it'd get approved and we'd end up paying for it anyways. Um, there's too much Chiefs pride in Kansas City, Missouri, and I think it hurt the fam- fan base if they moved to Kansas. I think. You know, the- so you're saying the Kansas City, Kansas fans don't have pride in the Chiefs? That's good no, clarification. They- I'm glad to hear that. No, I'm sure they do. I don't know. I don't. I know they do, but we're Missourians. I- we are, we're biased over here. We're on yeah. this side of the river. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I think the state of Kansas, though, is hoping to lure the Chiefs with that sports betting um, that you were talking about. And Rob Heineman did play a role with that. Uh, The one thing I found interesting is a lot of the local TV I watch has been covering the sports betting. Um, In fact, this morning I heard kind of an update on it, so I'll share that in a minute. But in October, Governor Kelly announced that the state generated $1.3 million in revenue the first month. And 130 of that went, 130,000, I should say, went to the state. Um, on PBS, there's a show I watch every week called Kansas City Week in Review. And back in October, they touched on this topic after that first round of like revenue came in from the state. And they were saying overall, the numbers were low. Um, if that amount continued where it was about 1.3 million a month, that would mean the state would only get about 1.5 million a year. And they were estimating it at 5 million, like you just said. Um, So, so far it's not kind of panning out at least that first month. Um, However, it's important to note that the online betting websites, I've, fan base, I think is one of them or something like that. There's a couple online websites that reported a loss that first month. And that was just because they gave credits to new users. So the the many totals could actually be higher going forward. And then um, I just feel like personally, any money the state gets should go to something other than stadiums, like maybe education, maybe roads. There's so many other issues over a stadium And like I was saying this morning, I was listening to KMBC Morning News, and they mentioned that there's a bill already pre-filled to legalize sports betting in Missouri. So I think they are trying to get sports betting here in Missouri. I don't know what that time frame is because they didn't say it, um, but I'm sure that would help the Chiefs stay in Missouri if something like that did get passed. Overall, I don't really care since the cost to attend a Chiefs game is ridiculous. So if Sporting wanted to come over to Missouri and the Chiefs go to Kansas, I don't care. But yeah, I just wanted to share that stuff on the online betting. Eric, where are you at on all this? 
So two thoughts. In previous years, the Chiefs moving out to the Speedway area could affect sporting because MLS used to like to put premier marquee matchups on Sundays, and now you're not just going head-to-head attendance-wise, but parking, traffic, and so on. With the new Apple deal, that's no longer an issue because games are guaranteed Wednesdays and Saturdays. So from that point of view, a big deal won't really affect them. On the other hand... There's a lot of moving pieces right now with stadiums in the Kansas City area. The uh, current just kind of put first dibs on the new urban accessible type of stadium that no one else has in the city right now. Royals are talking about doing it. By the time the current and the Royals have put stadiums in that sort of accessible urban core, you know, I don't think sporting are going anywhere either. Stadium is only 10 years old. So the environmentalist, I don't, I hope they don't blow it up and start over another year, but I also wonder where Children's Mercy is, is not really where MLS is going in terms of the fan base it's trying to cultivate. You know, if you look at the success of all of our expansion teams, the teams with the most vibrant support are all teams. They have transit access. They're either in downtown or urban centers. This is actually a drum I've been beating on Royals Review for a while. We need to stop saying downtown stadium. We need to be saying urban stadium because the point is whether or not it's integrated into a neighborhood and accessible. It doesn't matter if it's downtown. It matters that it's integrated into the, into the urban center. And so we're about to have, before sporting ever gets, we're going to have two other of those probably in town. So sporting's probably stuck out of the speedway. Long-term, that's not really where the MLS fan base is going, or at least what MLS is marketing to. So I'm not sure down the road if sporting start feeling the pinch of more options that are more accessible for summertime sports entertainment, and if that starts to hurt them. We won't know, but that's the thing that concerns me. It's not directly Chiefs-related, but putting football out at the Speedway makes sense because you play on Sunday afternoons mostly. You can get 70,000 people in out of there, no problem. But things like soccer and baseball... The leagues are showing that these work really well when you put them in places people can get to on a regular basis and easily. And sporting is kind of behind the curve now on that. And by the time it's time to replace that, they're going to be really behind the curve. So I don't know what that means going forward, but I do think it shows an interesting, everyone else is thinking about a better way to put their team and sporting's kind of stuck in this odd, out of sync. Like they're, they're a sine wave is offset from everyone else's wavelength on where stadiums should be right now. So that's just a long-term question I have. It's not something we can discuss much more because they're not going anywhere for now. Yeah, hopefully we got a long time left of using Children's Mercy Park, right? It's not that old of a facility, but it always blows me away that they move on so fast. Yeah, but I'll just throw this in for comparison. This is another slight pressure on them. When you look at what St. Louis is doing, putting their stadium right in the urban core, right in the light rail line, you know, getting to that really easily, that's a bit of pressure on sporting is, I mean, people aren't going back and forth from Kansas City, St. Louis routinely, but you're still creating a nearby rival that has the type of setup that now more and more soccer fans expect and want based on what all the other newer teams are doing. So that's another interesting cross-state pressure on stadium atmosphere, stadium accessibility, shiny new toy effect. Does that create a little bit of pressure on sporting to continue being find other ways to be relevant, interesting in the, in the broader spectrum. Yeah. I think long-term if they're at, well, someday there'll be another stadium. Right. And when that does happen, I could see it being in the urban core in the Kansas city current and the Royals, like you mentioned, will be really good uh, kind of barometers for how well that's working because the current, Oh, that stadium's going to be so close to us. Sheena and I, we drive by that all the time and we're very excited about it. And 2024 can't get here soon enough. Have to get down there and, and watch the Kansas City Current. That's and actually the views, the views that are going to be there. And I think just to hit a little bit on it, we've been to some road games. And I think about the stadiums that we've gone to and specifically Seattle Sounders. Like it's right there in the heart of the city, the views from the stadium. And I know that's the Seahawks stadium, but still like it's a central location. You could get there by public transit if you wanted. Um, and that's just not a possibility with sporting. For I children's hate the Sounders and I'm upset that you brought them up and that they play the turf in a place where it rains all the time. I don't understand why they can't grow grass. Uh, I digress. <laughs> Let's talk another Kansas City soccer team. Let's talk the Kansas City current. We're talking about their stadium a little bit, but they're in the news for other reasons. They made signings. We're recording this on Wednesday. You should probably be hearing this on Thursday or later. Depends when you get to it. We're glad you're listening. Uh, They made two signings today, signing Morgan Gautreaux 
and Vanessa D. Bernadette. Oh, I messed it up after I said it. I practiced D. Bernardo. Oh my gosh. Sorry, Vanessa. I'll get better. Uh, both formerly of the Chicago Red Stars. They were free agents. They came over. Uh, both signed two-year deals. A little background. Uh, Gautreaux, first round pick in 2015. I'm sorry, not just a first round pick. The first overall pick in 2015 from the Houston Dash. She was the two-time Mac Herman Trophy winner, which is for the best female and male college athletes, college soccer athletes, their college players. Uh, and also she was on the 2015 and 2019 U.S. Women's National Team, winning the World Cup and was an Olympian for uh, the U.S. as well. Dee Bernardo, hey, I did it, was the fourth overall pick in 2014 by the Red Stars. Uh, she is the Red, Stein, the Red Stars all-time leader in minutes, games, and assists pretty good for a 30-year-old here, and she's eighth all-time in the National Women's Soccer League in assists, so pretty big gets. I saw a lot of people saying, wow, I would have been blown away to get one of them, to get both of them. It's just kind of remarkable. Uh, that's where I'm coming down right now, too. It's that I don't know what this means, and we'll talk about it in a second in terms of how is this remake of the midfield, but it shows ambition for me. Uh, Sheen, I think you're on the same page as me. What what are you feeling about it as a, a big-time Chicago Red Stars <laughs> watcher, right? You catch every game? I don't know that I've caught a single game. <laughs> um, and overall, as you were going through those quick stats, it's a very impressive, um, the careers they both have had so far. So that gets me excited to see what they're going to do um, next season for Casey Current. Eric, what about you? So I'm going to be a slight, I don't know if it's devil's advocate or a contrary here. And it's be difficult. This is All right, Eric. It's <laughs> obviously fantastic for the current. No argument. This is so, you know, this is fantastic. We just upped the game. And the current, in many ways, are becoming a model franchise for how any team, much less a women's team, should be run. What this worries me a little bit is what this means for the league overall. Okay. Because we're Tell me more. I need to know more. Yeah, we're rapidly creating a divergence between some really, really high-end things. The California expansion teams, the West Coast teams, Kansas City are just putting in money. They're, they're just doing everything right. And then you've got a whole tier of teams at the other end that are struggling, that are getting bad attendance. They've been implicated in the Yates report. I mean, Chicago is a classic example of this. North Carolina is this. You know, Chicago has had games they drew under 2,000 people. They're playing in an awful stadium that even the fire don't want. And when you're when you're getting hand downs from the fire, you're in a bad place. <laughs> Sorry. So, you know, their owner is being forced to sell because he's implicated in some of the abuse in the Gates report. As much as I'm inspired by the current new stadium and seeing things like San Diego and L.A. and these teams just taking off and doing everything right. You need a stable nationwide league for these team, teams like Kansas City and these other teams to succeed. And if the bottom is falling out at the same time that you're blowing the roof off, that's a long-term problem. And when I see Chicago, you know, if we're poaching two of their best, most recognizable fan favorite players, those players scrammed the moment free agency opened. What does that mean for that franchise? What does that mean for the league? Why would you be a Red Stars fan? Why would you support this team that has just had the plug pulled from it? I'm a little worried what that means in the long run, if we can't stabilize these other teams that all of a sudden we're poaching from. So I'm not criticizing the move. I think it's fantastic from a current fan. I'm just a little worried that we're seeing more of the, of the repercussions, shockwaves from things at the Yates report, and that we need to be aware of the broader context of why players like this are moving on from one team to another. And that concerns me. I think I might be wrong on this. Chad, Eric, you guys probably know better than me. I thought I read today that Chicago and Portland are going up for sale. You may have read that on the Blue Testament. Oh, I may have actually. Maybe written by your husband. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I did read it from you. Sorry. Uh, yes, that is correct. They're both going up for sale. So to Eric's point there, I, I think that that's fair, right? That's a fair critique of some of these other teams. I think back to the beginning of the 2022 season. I think there are 10 teams in the NWSL last season, if I'm remembering right off the top of my head. And uh, every single one of them had a new coach. Like, how weird is that, right? To come off a year where even the team that the defending champions had new coaches, because there's so much uh, chaos going on in terms of all this like scandal, like you said on the Yates report. Oh, it's an awful read. If you want to go read it, it'll just, it'll depress you. But, but I think ownership groups like 
those California teams that you mentioned, especially like the the fan, the Longs and uh, Brittany Mahomes here owning the Kansas City Current, they're doing everything right. And hopefully these sales that are happening, Merritt Paulson up in Portland and and the owner there in Chicago, I'm drawing a blank on his name, even though I wrote it literally today, um, <laughs> they are going to go to better owners, hopefully. I'm, I'm optimistic that they're going to find the right people. They're going to attract the right ownership groups, people that want to be in it for the right reason. So maybe it'll be like a blessing in disguise, kind of like a lot of this coach turnover. Uh, we ended up with some really good coaches coming into the league and get rid of some of these rehash coaches just going from team to team, continuing their misconduct and bad behavior all over the league. So I'm 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 optimistic, but I want to turn the conversation a little bit uh, back to the Kansas City Current, back to the roster, and what does this mean for them? So the first thing I saw tweeted after this came out was from Meg Linhan of The Athletic, fantastic writer. You should go read Meg's stuff. She actually helped break some of that scandal that came out last year. And she was saying, hey, doesn't Sam Mewis play the same position as Morgan Cottrell? What does that mean for Sam? I know that Sam was kind of like halfway in and out of training at times last year for the current. She never made it onto the field in the regular season. She played like a half during the Challenge Cup. And then that was it. I know some people are speculating out there. Maybe she never plays again. Maybe she's just not going to be right or she's nowhere near being ready to go. So that's a concern. Do y'all have thoughts about Sam Mewis and her future? Don't know that we have enough information, really. I mean, I don't like speculating about health like that. I know it's the core of sports talk, but <laughs> do we have more information? I'm not sure there's much we can say. Yeah, I think if nothing, at least it's the team protecting themselves against Mewis potentially not being around, right? And then at the same time, they also lost, uh, uh, whew, I almost said the wrong one. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm drawing a blank. What is our French midfielder's name right now? Help me out, guys. What you mean, Claire Lavagay? Claire Lavalier, yes, there we go, Lavalier. So uh, she's out all year, most likely, because of her catastrophic knee injury. So it, it provides some insurance in the midfield. I'm for that. Now, one other thing that it kind of got me thinking about was Desiree Scott. She's also a free agent. Uh, she was in talks with the team. Uh, my colleague, my boss, Thad Bell, the managing uh, editor over at the Blue Testament, uh, site manager, I think is his official title. He said that the current are still in talks with Scott, but I was wondering, does this mean she doesn't come back? Because I thought Gatro actually played a little deeper in the midfield and played where Scott played. And we already have Alex Loera that can play that spot. So I love Desi Scott. She's a great leader out there. I, we get to talk to her in the post-game press conferences. And she is just like, she makes, she puts me to shame. She can put her words together so much better than I can. <laughs> and um, she's a great leader. But I always feel like she's good for at least one disastrous pass or two every game. And that kind of stresses me out. I'm not saying Gatro is perfect, but talented, younger, you know, father time undefeated, as they say. What do y'all think? Is this a bad sign for Desi being back in the midfield next year? Well, one thing, and this actually can tie into something I think we're going to talk about later, but maybe it comes in now. The NWSL schedule is changing this year, and depth is going to be more important given that they're restructuring their schedule. So you could argue that some of these are depth. It's not a same roster. We may be seeing these players rotating in and out to balance this. I don't know if you want to hold off on that, but that's, I think, going to be relevant to the schedule discussion when you want to get to that. Yeah, go for it, Eric. Tell me about this. What's going on with so the basically schedule? the NWSL just released their what they call their schedule footprint, which is they haven't scheduled every game yet, but they're telling you how the season's going to run. So the last season they've done the Challenge Cup. They did that. They started that during the pandemic as kind of a one-off tournament to be able to play something. Then they shifted to that being kind of a season opening tournament where they played a little mini World Cup style tournament with group stages and then the knockout. And that was meant to start the season. And then the season began after that and ran on. So you kind of won the Challenge Cup and then you move on. And there was some controversy there because the Challenge Cup ended up overlapping with the seasons. You had teams, you know, in this Challenge Cup championship and they'd already started the season. It was schedule congestion. It was all a little confusing for people like why are these two things going on? So this year, they are shifting the Challenge Cup to not be an opening season tournament, but to run parallel with the entire season, kind of the way the U.S. Open Cup runs with MLS. So now they'll be starting within a week or two of each other. I think uh, Windows Hill starts in late March, Challenge Cup starts sometime in April, but they will be playing parallel these group stage games spread out throughout the season, and then the knockout games happening in September shortly before the regular season ends. So now you're looking at juggling two different competitions throughout the season rather than playing one competition and then another. So that's a little more schedule congestion. And you could look at some of these signings as 
depth for juggling that. And we all know that schedule congestion messes with MLS teams. Every year we see it, who have open cup runs, Champions League runs, just guts the teams that does them. So you can look at these signings as addressing that change in schedule. Yeah, I think that's actually a pretty good take. And uh, on the Challenge Cup in general, I'm happy that it's coming along with the season. It was so weird last season because the current did really well. They were like playing lights out in this. Then all of a sudden they got to play a regular season game midweek and then they're back in the Challenge Cup game and they didn't have premier lineups for either game, but the Challenge Cup's a preseason tournament, so it doesn't matter, but there's a bunch of prize money, so it does matter. It was a weird weird situation. I think this is a creative solution, uh, but it leaves me wondering, why isn't there a U.S. Open Cup for women's soccer? There's all these other leagues, the WPSL, that could put teams into it. I would love to see some like lower division women's teams playing against NWSL teams. I mean, maybe we call it like a, a North American Cup here in a few years. There, uh, There's already the Mexican League, Liga Femenal. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Sorry, Hispanic listeners or Spanish-speaking listeners. Um, and then there's now talks of a Canadian professional women's league starting in 2025 with eight teams. So I think like a North American Cup, that'd be pretty sweet to see the different leagues play against each other. Maybe you build up these lower division teams have to climb and you know don't join in the first round sort of thing. Just like MLS comes in in rounds three, four, things, same thing in overseas. This is how soccer's played around the world. Americans aren't really used to it, I don't think, in the grand scheme of things, that two competitions, three competitions, they lay over the top of each other. But I think that's how it is, and it's I'm, I'm okay with it. Sheena, do you have feelings about this? Um, I'm with you. Last season was very confusing with the cup at the beginning of the season, but then like the preseason, it was very confusing to keep up with it. So I like the format they're going into for this season. And I like your idea of the North American cup. That sounds fun. Um, I literally invented it right now. (laughs) What a great idea. (laughs) I know it is a good idea. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out this season. All right. So we have a few other bits of Kansas City current news. I don't want to shortchange anybody here. Um, We do have a departure. That sounds like she died. She did not die. Uh, Kristen Edmonds has left Kansas City. She was a free agent. She's she's dead now. She's not dead, but she's dead now. <laughs> uh, that's not true. I wish her the best of luck, except for when they play Kansas City. Uh, she has joined New Jersey, New York, Gotham. If they just took off the New Jersey, New York, Gotham, such a cool name for a yeah. team. It, it's where she's from. It's a two-year contract, so she's going home. I can never fault a player for that. She was... Uh, a Jill of all traits. Is that a way to say it? Instead of saying a Jack of all traits, she was playing all over the field, center back, full back, midfield. She was a big asset. She'll be missed here in Kansas city. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what players step up to fill that, that role that uh, Edwin's filled in on uh, other news, fellow center back, Jenna Weinbrenner. She's going into her second year with the current. She was hired on to the Kansas city comments staff. Uh, actually uh, mentioning Thad, he got an interview with Jenna over after the uh, signing was announced, the signing, do you sign your coaches? I don't know. Words are hard for me right now. So if you go to the youtube.com slash the blue Testament, you can see Thad's interview with Jenna, get a little one-on-one time with her and talked about, you know, how that's going to play out with her being a coach and the overlap of the season. Uh, But any final thoughts from either of you on Edmonds Weinbrenner uh, before we wrap it up and move on to our last topic of the night? Yeah, just one thing on um, Jenna Weinbrenner becoming a coaching staff for Casey Comets. I, I know for sure she's the first woman um, coach for Casey Comments and maybe even for that entire league, I think I read. So it's pretty wow. remarkable. Yeah. I might have Eric's that. nodding in agreement. So okay, your team must okay, be right. I, I should have right. read that story. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's pretty remarkable. And I, I'm pretty sure she said she was surprised when she found that out. So I was pretty excited about that. What about you, Eric? What one do you thing think about that got me thinking when I read that was like one thing got me thinking when I read that was how scheduling works because the arena season overlaps with NWSL. So, and granted, she's not a head coach. She's just joining the coaching staff. So it's probably more flexible appointment. And these are all smart people. They know how to read calendars, you know, then they've worked something out, but it just, it's a curiosity as to, you know, what that overlap looks like. And also I was wondering, given how different arena soccer is, you know, it's sort of a hybrid with hockey. It's got very different rules. There are power plays. There's, you know, it's an interesting question to how coaching one style of soccer translates. You know, obviously players go back and forth, but I, I would love to hear an interview with her uh, after this, this season on what it's like to try to 
translate one language into a related language. He's sort of going from Spanish to Italian here in terms of coming from the same group, but there's some very different things going on. How does that work as the coaching transition? I just find that a fascinating question to follow up on, you know, in six months when she's had the experience of playing one, coaching the other. Yeah. I'm interested to see how that kind of plays out as well. And then um, I saw that she's already been kind of participating in practices. She's involved being out on the field. Uh, something kind of interesting about the comments in general is, and I'm Sheen, I know you don't know this. So I'll share it with you and the, the listeners that aren't familiar. Um, not like I'm watching the comments, but I'm maybe this year, maybe this will be my year. Um, Leo Gibson is their head coach, uh, but he's also a player on the team. So he's a coach and yeah. a player, the shocked look on your face. Oh, yeah, I, wish I, I should screenshot you right now. Confusion. Like, how does that even work? Hey, Chad, coach? I just saw... That just solves a problem though for sporting. We just oh, we just going to put PV on the field. There's our center <laughs> back. <laughs> yeah, that's I think true. we followed our model and we're done. I mean, right. he's definitely in shape to probably be out there and play. Oh, the fans <laughs> would love it. Oh, that hilarious. would be, be amazing if it was like in baseball where you know how they have to like wear the uniform and then it's like, are we going to put the manager onto the <laughs> up to bat or out in the field all of a sudden? Well, now, hey, let's put PV in at right center back and then he can, you know, tear himself down in the post game press conference <laughs> if he doesn't do a good oh, job. You, you so. think he yells at refs now? Wait till he's on the field. Yeah, exactly. Well, oh, yeah, exactly. he'd be off the field as quickly as he got on the minute they called something he didn't. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to take away the red card Roger moniker and call up something else. <laughs> yeah, the, the yellow card for dissent would just be given as soon as PV subbed into the game, probably. <laughs> uh, one last thing, Sheena put this on our rundown, and I feel like I can't miss it. Uh, this past Tuesday was the two-year anniversary of the Kansas City Current. So I know it's the Current's lineage. It's this weird thing, right? Because they kind of were FC Kansas City for all those years, and they won two NWSL titles, and they went to Utah and became the Utah Royals, and they came back here. But they, it's like they act like those histories are all different, and this is just a two-year-old team. But is uh, the, the way I look at it, Kansas City are two-time NWSL champions, and that's what matters. All right, we're going to just do this quick. It's depressing. I don't want to talk too long about it, but uh, the U.S. men's national team, I don't know if you all heard, there's this competition going on in Qatar, uh, the World Cup. I don't know. They do it like once every four years for the men, same for the women. Um, The U.S. got eliminated. It's sad. Three to one. Do we need to talk about it? Has it been beaten to absolute death since this past Saturday? Probably, but I have something to say. Okay, get your thoughts out there, (laughs) Sheena. Go. Um, Overall, I'm really proud of the team. I mean, it's not like we lost to, you know, a bad team. They're the number eighth, I believe, ranked team. So the Netherlands are good. And I just couldn't get over how tall everyone on that team was, especially their goalie. But I think we did have some missed opportunities, especially at the very beginning of the game with Christian Pulsic and that potential goal he could have had. But I, I have to think he thought he was offsides. Um, and so until the whistle, right? I thought he was offside yeah. too. And then they showed that replay and he very clearly was not offside. Uh, Blend, yeah. who scored the uh, the second goal for the Netherlands, was keeping him on. Yeah. And once that third goal was scored, it just felt unlikely that they would be able to score two more times, especially because it took, you know, over, I, I don't even remember at what point they scored the first one, but we were over halfway through the game. It was very um, and it yeah, was a they, weird one too. It was a weird. Yeah, oh. it was a weird way to score. Um, but I think the team should feel proud that th- to get where they did. Um, they were the second youngest team in the World Cup. And hopefully they use this loss as motivation for the 2026 World Cup, which is going to be here in North America and more specifically in Kansas City. So if they're going to win one, it would be cool to win it in on your home turf. So uh, I just hope whoever the coach is going forward, they find a striker because we really need one. I'm just going to throw out two things since we're stuck in this anyway. One is that if you told most people ahead of time that we were going to lose to the Netherlands in the knockout round, we'd have taken that. What hurts is the way it happened, and this draws us back to Kansas City because the way it happened felt an awfully lot like watching the last few rough sporting seasons where the team starts strong, doesn't finish, doesn't take early control, controls the midfield, plays well, cannot finish to save their lives, eventually gets worn down by an opponent who either reacts and subs better than they do or something else goes wrong. And we have seen sporting lose games like that so many times where the other team adjusts better. If we'd had that one nothing lead there for 15 minutes, there's a bunch of sporting matches would have been won. 
And it felt, especially since they're playing a similar formation, it just felt very sporting-like, but on a national, international stage. And that hurt because I've seen that too many times to see that narrative played out again. You know, we, we at least have, you know, Agata and Polito. U.S. is going to have to go find the equivalent of that somewhere in this country. You can't just go raid Israel for your new striker. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How, how do we get uh, Willie Agata? I'm thinking of Kinda. So... <laughs> yeah. But in the Kansas City sense, it hurt because it's something I've seen too often. The final result, fine. The way we got there felt like it didn't have to be that way. Yeah, I move on. I, I, I'll uh, my quick two cents on it are uh, again I, overall pretty good performance. A bad they played their worst game in the knockout round. It's a bummer that it happened that way. But they're super young team. I'm super hyped for 2026. Let's you know get that World Cup here in Kansas City and you know all over the country and North America, and we'll we'll uh, build to it. If you want to hear more about the U.S. men's national team, head on over to our other podcast, Shades of Blue. They did a really good breakdown, talked about Burhalter being the coach again. Should that happen, I recommend or a listen. Okay, I lied. I said there was one topic left. I got one more topic. We're going to wrap up the show with something that's not sporting Kansas City related, but MLS related and kind of related to sporting because it's uh, another team cheating, which is hurting sporting when other teams are allowed to cheat and get away with it. The LA Galaxy, who we've all long known to be cheaters, were now officially confirmed as cheaters. Uh, they were caught cheating uh, on a signing for Christian Pavone. He was uh, listed as a TAM player, targeted allocation money. I'll get more into that concept uh, in the written version of this. But basically, he should have been listed as a designated player because of their violation of the rules. The team is paying a million dollar fine, which is nothing for AEG. Uh, but they lose a million dollars in general allocation money, GAM. Uh, teams only get $1.9 million per season. So that is significant. That's money you use to help buy your more expensive contracts down and fit them into the salary budget. Uh, also, as a part of this, Chris Klein, uh, actual sporting legend, Chris Klein, uh, who is the president of the LA Galaxy, he's been suspended through the end of the 2023 primary transfer window. So that usually runs until sometime in May, give or take. And then uh, Dennis Teclosa used to be the general manager for the LA Galaxy. Uh, he has to get written permission if he wants to ever get a job in MLS again because of both of their involvements in this cheating scandal now we have all known the galaxy are cheaters i wrote about this on the website go check it out at the blue testament i would have thought it was on many other signings that they cheated on who'd have guessed it was on pavone but uh, eric i think you had uh, some interesting thoughts about this and more of a, a broader scale of the mls roster rules weigh in for us yeah, so a quick note on the athletic article covering this in terms of whether or not this is enough punishment. I'll point out there are a bunch of Galaxy fans on there saying that Klein should have, should have been suspended longer. The team will be better without him. So depending on your perspective, you know, some that that's something to throw out there. Um, but we've seen a lot of discussion about MLS salary rules are ridiculous or complicated. And I think there's an analogy here to things like the tax code in this country, which is wildly complicated and creates all sorts of pitfalls for well-meaning people and gives you tons of opportunities to cheat. The problem with anything that's too complicated, whether it's a tax code, whether it's bureaucracy, whether it's laws, whether it's financial rules, it creates incentive to cheat and it punishes the people who try to comply. Because if you're an honest person doing your taxes and you have to hire an accountant or you make a mistake and the IRS comes down on you, that's not good for anybody. If you're an MLS team trying to comply and you have to have a whole staff to deal with this nonsense, that is a drain on what sports should be. And it creates a window for something like the Galaxy to play, or Miami to play, play with things. And it makes a team like sporting have to work harder than they need to. So to me, the story here is simplify the damn rules. Can I say that? Yes. And we don't oh, you can say whatever problem. you want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's lots of story about one incident and the bigger story is stop it with rules that allow, make this a, re a thing people want to have to do. Yeah, I think that is a well said. It, the, the rules are incredibly complicated. I'm going to be interested to find out who ratted on the galaxy because when Inter-Miami were caught cheating, it was because one of their... Uh, lesser owners that like minority owners uh, basically ratted out the majority owners that they had been cheating and had they not done it they'd have probably gotten away with it and they had five designated players and you're only allowed three so for comparison this fine was for half as much general allocation money as the miami fine miami's fine was so crippling they had to trade away 
quality high, you know, really high quality players within the league to acquire more general allocation money to be able to even function. So I think this is something that this podcast will go deeper into in the future because the roster rules are a mess. They are complicated. Um, and I just want to know more. I can't wait till there's more suspensions coming to the galaxy when they inevitably announced that they cheated when they signed, signed Zlatan as well, because uh, I, I'm sure you all are familiar. I know, Sheena, you're really into the international soccer world. After Zlatan yeah. left, uh, he he bought 50% share in his old Swedish team, Hambari. Hambari, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Sorry, Sweden. Um, uh, and it was owned by the same people that owned the Galaxy. So they cut him probably a sweet deal. It's probably shenanigans, but we don't know for now. We'll we'll see in the future if Chris Klein gets like banned for life from Major League Soccer for this next suspension. But we have talked a lot Hopefully you all enjoyed our third episode of For the Glory KC. I want to thank my wife, Sheena, my lovely wife, and our guest host, Eric, for coming on today. For the Testament.com. I am Chad Smith, one of our many editors. Thank you all for listening, and we'll play you out with our theme song, our temporary theme song. We're working on this. Uh, Ride It Like You Mean It by Christian Lua. Thanks, everybody.